0: Welcome to the Let's see Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. Welcome to the Let's see Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about power. What does power really mean? How does it affect you as a job seeker? Did we fail the job application because of a lack of power? Today, I brought on Tiziana Cacharro, professor of organizational behavior at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Tiziana's research on interpersonal and organizational networks and power dynamics has received distinguished scientific achievement awards from the Academy of Management and has been covered in the New York Times, CNN, Fortune, and Time. She advises organizations and professionals across industries and has been recognized by Thinkers50 as a management leader most likely to shape the future of how organizations are managed and led. She recently released a book called Power for All, how it really works and why it's everybody's business. So as you can see, Tiziana is perfect for this episode, and this episode is really gonna help you figure out where, when, and how to find your power so you can land and thrive in your dream job. Let's launch right into it with this episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. Tiziana, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Chris.
0: I am so excited to talk about power with you. It's something that really resonates within me. I don't know what it is, but I just got fired up in thinking about our episode today. I'll open up with this question. You wrote this book with your colleague called Power for All, how it really works and why it's everybody's business. So can you give a sneak preview of your answer? Why is power everybody's business?
1: Well, it is everyone's business because think of it in the wrong way. And when we think of it in the wrong way, we don't realize that it's for us too. And there are several misconceptions that we carry around in our heads about power. the limit how much we engage with it, how much we seek it, how much we understand it, and therefore how much we can deploy it. So one of the misconceptions is that power belongs only to the few at the top of a hierarchy. So it's Mm -hmm. a part of their role, a part of their position, so that, you know, only the CEO or the senior VP or the president or whoever has that title, the boss basically has power and the rest of us don't have it. But that's not at all the case because power has everything to do with controlling access to resources, others value. So you have power over somebody if you have something that they want and they don't have many alternatives to you to get it. And that kind of power can reside in many, many parts of an organization. It doesn't have to be just the bosses who have high rank. Uh, You as a lower level employee may have the control over something that the rest of the organization really needs. Maybe you have insight into what, a customer really needs and, and desires, and therefore you are instrumental to the company achieving its goals. And there are many ways in which you can control something that is important to the organization, even though you don't have high rank. So we see okay. all kinds of CEOs and people that are really on paper, very powerful, who mm-hmm. struggle mightily with their power. In the book, we tell the story of Donatella Versace, who you would think she's really famous, leads a company that is super famous, and you would imagine that because she has the highest levels of authority in that company, that she always had an easy time leading it. That is not at all the case. When her brother, Johnny, was murdered by this crazed fan in Miami, Florida, she found herself at the creative helm of the company. And in theory, being the most important person there, because she was the only one who had worked with Johnny on the creative side of the business. And yet nobody listened to her at first. Okay. And it took years for her to kind of get get a hold of her own power. And so, you know, you don't take it for granted, basically. If you're low down in the totem pole and you don't think you have much influence, think twice because you could find ways to exercise it. And if you're higher up in the rank, don't take it for granted that you're going to be able to influence the behavior of others because it's not that straightforward.
0: Wonderful. That makes a lot of sense to me. And you talked about misconceptions here. One of them being, you know, obviously that the people at the top are the only ones that hold the power. We want to debunk that myth. What are some of the other misconceptions of power that people have?
1: Oh, you bet. We have two more that are pervasive. We see them all the time and we we want to get rid of them uh one of them is that power is dirty that is a matter of you know conniving manipulating it sounds court, dirty yeah it I does want
0: power give me power
1: yeah that's right the power <laughs> hunger you know yeah, it's never a good power thing and I, right yeah power trip and we oftentimes think of it that way and it, it, you know it's not entirely wrong it can be so when i talk to people about power One of the first things that come to mind for them is Machiavelli, my fellow countryman, Italian, who centuries ago gave a view of power that is very devious. And it's a matter of conspiracy Mm -hmm. and navigating people stabbing you in the back, sometimes literally. So, you know, we're still very much enthralled with that view. And in many ways, we have to focus on, on the bad side because the negative can kill us. Well, the positive eh, positive is nice, but it doesn't have immediate effects on our life. It's more like it's nice to have, while avoiding the negative is so important to us. And that's why we tend to think of power in the negative way. But power ultimately is energy. It's the energy that you need to move the world, to accomplish anything you have in mind. Anytime you want to, yeah, you have a goal, you have a job that you desperately want to, to grab you need power to secure that resource. You need power to influence the behavior of other people so that they will give you that job. All of these moves that we make in our lives are fueled by power, by this energy. So you better understand it. And the second misconception that I, the third, actually I should say the third and last, is that power is a personal thing. So you as a person, or a powerful person, or you're a powerless person, And you carry that with you because it's a a matter of your traits, of your background, of the resources you inherited, perhaps the networks where you grew up. And that is only partly true because power actually is always relative to someone else. You always have to understand power with respect to another party. It's not just you. It's you and me right now doing this podcast and we have in this moment, a power relationship. It doesn't have to be a nasty one. It could be <laughs> a, a mutual dependence in this particular yes. case, right? You need good content for your podcast. I need a platform to talk about these ideas that we, my co-author Julie and I worked so hard to bring to people and we need a way to convey them. So we both have something to offer to the other. And so that can be a, quite a positive way of seeing power. Because you realize that we can help each other. It's like power with somebody versus power over
0: somebody. Over somebody. That Correct. makes so much sense. And I think that's where a lot of my own, let's say like my own misconceptions, my own negative feelings towards power have been like, OK, this person has power over me, so I'm helpless. Therefore, I'm a very empathetic person. So I, in a way, I overdo it. I'm like, oh, I don't want this person to think I have power over them. So I'm just going to play it you know, extra nice or something like that. And so I think that the way that you framed power is I was gonna say it's more powerful. I'm trying not to say that in the same sentence, but it's just so enlightening. And I think it makes sense because as job seekers, as professionals, really we need to work together with whoever is within the party with us, whether that's you know, the interviewer or, you know, our boss or something like that. And power needs to be framed as a little bit more collaborative. And I think you've done that really well.
1: Yeah, that that is correct. The job seeking. And the hiring uh, relationship is a perfect example of a mutually dependent situation where both Mm -hmm. parties have some power over the others. Because remember that the power comes from control over resources that the other party needs or wants.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Let's unpack some of those power dynamics and talk about how power affects job seekers. So what are the power dynamics involved within the job search? If you can just name some examples, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So think about it this way. Um, There are always four elements in a power relationship. Your power over the company or whatever, the organization that is hiring, resides in having something that they need, that you can offer, and being one of not too many that can act if you are just like everybody else. If you offer something that is very easily available on the job market, it's harder for you to establish some level of power because you can be Mm. replaced. Somebody Mm. else can do what you do. So part of your attempt to establish a level of influence in that relationship so that you become attracted to them is to make whatever you have to offer more valuable in the eyes of the counterpart. An example. We don't tell the story in the book, actually, but it's a story that my co-author, Julie Batilana, developed about this guy whose name is Claude Gruniski. This guy is from Togo originally, though he lived in Europe and the United States at some point in his life. But here is what he was able to do as a 22-year-old with no experience, you know, in theory, nothing to offer. What he wanted, and again, here comes a dependence on the other side of, of the power relationship. He wanted to enter the world of magazine and media production for underground cultures because he really wanted racialized groups that were involved in music, in art, in all kinds okay. of, of endeavors to have a platform, to have a way to convey their work to, to people and also kind of make it more human. And there was a magazine at that time in London that was doing just that, kind of urban underground culture on the London scene. And Claude really wanted to get into this magazine as a contributing writer. And he had no experience, however. He had nothing. So, you know, imagine you apply for a job and your resume does not look good for that job. (laughs) So what do you do? What could you possibly offer to this guy so that he would think you're interesting? And what Claude did was he basically studied the magazines that this particular guy had produced Uh, The magazine's name was Dazed and Confused. And he said, I understood what he was covering, what he was not covering, and what I could contribute. Because at that point in time, hip-hop had not become mainstream yet. And uh, Claude happened to know hip-hop really well. But this magazine was not covering it very, very well. And so he studies this magazine and then basically barges in the door of this editor of the magazine and said, listen, I know what you do. And here is a gap that I can fill for you in these ways. Mm. And the editor was enthralled and said, (laughs) all right, this sounds really good. Good. I don't know you from Adam. You have no idea who you are, but you sound like you really understand what we're doing. So what it tells you here in terms of power and influence Claude wanted to influence the behavior of this editor, meaning hire me editor, please. Okay. How do you get this editor to hire you? You have to offer something that the editor needs or wants. Sometimes they don't even know they need it. You have to tell them, you have to do the homework and say, I've seen what you do, what your company does, what your organization does. And here's a piece of your market that you don't understand. You're not reaching. And here is my competence in that particular segment that I can help you with, this requires homework, obviously, right? You you don't improvise something like this. But a lot of job applicants sometimes forget that, you know, you had to really go deep in understanding the company you apply to, the role you, you apply to. You really and do. It, it requires background research, Require asking a lot of questions. It requires really study. That may be a little bit annoying because it's a lot of time you put to a job search. You don't have a way to be attractive to that employee. And you also fail on the second piece of of your power, which is, are you unique in offering that valued resource? You can only be unique if you studied that company, that organization more than others. And so you show up and say, I really, really know where the gap is and I can, or what the problem you're struggling with is, Mm -hmm. and you may be aware of your problem, but you don't know how to solve it, and I have something to offer. It may feel daunting to do that kind of of background research almost, but because not many people actually do it, you know, we do more superficial research. You know, we look at a company, we look at what they're, they're doing, some of their products and services, but we don't necessarily go deeper. And that's when you go deeper, that you become more uniquely valuable to that organization. And therefore much more attractive to them that's on your side of the power relationship
0: absolutely and what a great story thank you for bringing that to light here I, I learned so much from storytelling and I think just the fact that this person had no experience whatsoever which I know a lot of job seekers can resonate a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are like I don't have that you know management experience what I want to be a manager that's like the next step in my career But you showed how this person got power, despite the fact that they weren't an executive. They didn't have that experience before. It's the value proposition through being unique and finding out what the company's needs are. We even had a guest who talked about this is normally a dirty phrase, but not in this case, but insider information. So as job seekers, getting insider information about the companies that we're applying for And then finding ways to communicate that you're going to end up filling whatever need that the company has. So
1: that's right. And in our book, call it Power for All, in the sense that everybody can acquire some of that inside information, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a matter of power mapping. That's kind of how we think about it. You go into an environment and you try to map who wants what and who controls access to those resources that are valued in that environment. And, okay. you know, that's what Claude did in that environment. He power mapped it and said, all right, what does this magazine want to accomplish? And what is it that they're not doing that they could be, be absolutely consistent with their mission and I can bring to them? So that it's not really a chart in a physical sense with pathways, but it's an intellectual chart where you understand where the power hubs are and you're sure. positioning them.
0: Sure. So, Titiana, you talked about one way of obtaining power as just finding out what the company might need and through information, essentially. But, you know, as job seekers, a lot of us do feel powerless in situations. We have the feeling and it's hard for us to get there. What other ways would you recommend that we obtain power within our job search?
1: Uh, You have to consider also the other side of the relationship because so far we talked about your power over the potential employer, Mm -hmm. uh, which has to do with, you know, what you have to offer and how unique it is. Because if if it's very commonly found, it's not particularly you know, distinctive. But there's another side. There's a power that the employer has over you. And it has to do with how badly you need what they have, which in this case is a job, and how many alternatives to them you have to get the job you want. And uh, you can see that different employers can have different appeal to you. Uh, some of the jobs out there may not be particularly attractive so that you may withdraw from that power relationship because you do really no longer want that job. So we're actually seeing this now. I know that you know there's a lot of people who are seeking work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of people who reject types of employment that they don't think are, are worth their time. So the great resignation or the you know, the people that are just stepping out and withdrawing from these bad, badly balanced power relationships where you know you, you get a job but you're paid badly, you have no benefits. Right. Uh, the working conditions are not good, so there's also a question of which employers actually have power over you because they have jobs that are attractive, and okay. some may not have them. And then of course, you need to create alternatives for yourself. that decreases your dependence on, on any one job, any one employer. And the question that becomes how do you do that? And you need to find alternatives that make you freer. Basically. Networking becomes a very important way for you to learn about alternatives and cultivate alternatives. And so you have to understand how that works in order to free yourself from being so uniquely dependent on one yes. job and one company. Yes. Because then they can squeeze you. Because power yes. can be, in fact, a matter of exploitation and a matter of you know imposing bad terms on you. So yes. The networking route is also very important to understand.
0: One of the most powerful concepts that I learned in any one of the classes that I took was the concept of the BATNA. This is a professor I had of negotiation. I don't know if this is his term, but I'll give him credit for teaching me this. It's Professor Tony Simons at the Cornell Hotel School. And he said the BATNA stands for the best alternative to the negotiated agreement, which basically says what you're saying about just having alternatives so you're not squeezed into one thing because if you don't have that best alternative then you're just going to be forced to take whatever so
1: that's right and batna is absolutely the most central concept in negotiations and it's precisely the way you describe it it's all about alternatives and Mm -hmm. you know in a power relationship it's always those four elements you're playing around with do you have something they want Are you the only one or one of the few to be able to give it to them? And on the other side, do they have something you want? And are they your only alternative? (laughs) Only alternative. Those four are the elements you're always working with to create a decent situation for yourself.
0: Okay. So let's talk about... If I'm already within a job and I want a promotion or I want to make a lateral move to a better option within my job, what would you recommend for me as a job seeker as a first step if I'm really looking to establish myself so I can move on up within my company?
1: Well, you have to really become proficient in understanding what the company is about and what they value at any point in time. And that requires you to be more strategic than we often are. We tend to be lost in the weeds of our jobs and be very narrow in how we understand where our job is relevant in a company. Our power map tends to be very, very close to our little group, and we don't expand it really wide so that we understand strategically, what is this company after that I can potentially help with? So I'll give an example. This is a story, also another one that didn't end up in the book because we had too many good stories. <laughs> so <at some> point,
0: <laughs> I knew you are full of stories. Right, so I know. This is great.
1: <laughs> this one I like because it goes to show that <laughs> just when you feel totally powerless mm. and forget the promotion, we're talking about keeping your job. that is at a stake, which for a lot of people, especially in times of crisis, is a real concern. And how do you make yourself powerful enough that you influence your organization to keep you or promote you? or move you laterally, whatever the goal may be. So the story is this. Uh, I'll take you back to the global financial crisis. It's 2008. This woman was a managing director. So in theory, pretty powerful because managing director is the highest level you can have in an investment bank. And she was working for one of the most elite investment banks on Wall Street. Now the financial crisis strikes and she's in HR. She's doing talent and learning. What does it mean? It means a role that is not typically very powerful. Why? Because it's a cost center. It does not contribute directly the resource that an investment bank loves the most, which is money-making. They don't make money. They just use money to, in theory, develop people and talent. Okay. She finds herself on the chopping block because they, they they have already fired most of her team and she knows she's next. And the question is, how can you make yourself relevant in an environment where you look like you've got nothing to offer, and you got no power to persuade this organization to keep you, retain you, or give an opportunity to advance, whatever it may be? So this is the magic of really understanding what's valued in your environment. She sat down with her boss and said, "What can we do as?" Learning and development people in this investment bank to be valuable, so that they keep us and they don't fire us. And what they had, they were strategic enough in their thinking to know that the global financial crisis had changed what was most important in an investment bank. The type of uh, talent needed to deal with finance that had changed, audit had changed, risk had changed. They needed a new kind of experts in finance that didn't, they didn't necessarily have within this bank. So they come up with a plan to create a training program for outside talent that will be recruited, but needed to be acculturated and socialized into the super strong culture of this bank. If you knew the, the name of the bank, you would understand. This is okay. a bank that has, you know, long-standing, long history of value. One of those. One of those, yeah. exactly. <laughs> And they come up with an expensive training program for these new recruits that would, however, be measured in terms of delivering on all the metrics that the company cared about. And they presented a pathway, basically, to make these new hires particularly profitable. Because if I equip you with what you need to thrive in a company like this, and you come in with the skill set that we need at this point in time in this new financial industry, you should be able to make a lot of money from these people. And they sell this plan to the CEO. They had one chance to talk to the CEO and the CEO buys it. And because they see the value in what these guys are offering to them. But for anyone inside a company who wants a promotion, who wants a lateral move, who aspires to something better and higher, that's what you've got to do. You have to understand what is it that this organization values most at this point in time? And how can I deliver a piece Mm. of that? Mm. And it requires, again, thinking in the big picture and not letting the weeds of your job suck you in so that you lose sight Mm. of how the world is changing around you, how your position is changing around you, how your relevance is changing around you. And then you make yourself that valuable force. Yes. And it requires thinking. It requires observation. It requires asking questions. It requires, it, you know, being more big picture than than small picture. But this is something that we all can do. We all can do this. It's just mm-hmm. knowing that you that's where you have to devote your energy to, as opposed to maybe being wrapped up in maybe litigating with a bad boss that is treating you mean <laughs> and you become obsessed with pleasing this boss or avoiding this boss and you lose sight of what is out there. Yes. It, that is where the value really lies.
0: Yes. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about paying attention to the other party, not so much myself. It's not so much my power over other people. It's what does the other person have? What does the other person need? And so in this case, if I'm trying to gain back that power, I need to stop focusing on myself and my objectives. And it's like, what what are all the tasks that I have to do right now? It's like, stop for a moment. Realize the big picture. This is an organization that's trying to achieve X, Y, Z. And so to zoom out a little bit and to focus on the other party, in this case, it would be the company and the company's needs.
1: That is exactly right. It can be difficult to understand what another person or group or organization wants and needs at any point in time. It's not straightforward. Otherwise, anybody would do it. Right. But there are guidelines. And in the book, we provide basically a almost like a, a checklist of things that you have to think about that we all need and want at a high level. And then you can kind of zero in on that particular person, that particular time. And there are some reliable things you can look for that can make it easier for you to pinpoint, how can it be relevant in this relationship right now? Mm -hmm. As opposed to being lost in the the great variety of human needs. Humans are so weird and so complicated. How am I supposed to know what Chris wants today? (laughs) I don't know. But you can know, you can know, you get to know the person and you observe and you ask questions and you follow this little model that we provide that gives you at least a pathway Mm -hmm. to understanding somebody else that makes this job easier on anybody to do. But it is the thing to do anytime you attempt to network with somebody. One of the things that makes networking so uncomfortable for people, or at least they feel burdened by it instead of feeling like, oh, my God, this is so interesting. I can network with somebody, learn something.
0: Tell us, because I love this.
1: Yeah, this is very important. We feel uncomfortable about networking because it's often a one way street in our mind. And I network with you, Chris, because I want something from you. And so I kind of target you, and I come after you for something for me. And that
0: feels dirty, that feels dirty.
1: Absolutely does. (laughs) I
0: hated it back in the day. Totally,
1: it feels dirty. And in fact, actually it feels literally dirty. In our research, Mm. we show it over and over again, that we literally, when we feel yucky about this behavior, We feel like cleansing ourselves physically. And we demonstrate this in a ray of (laughs) studies that is just absolutely Wash my hands of this. Wash your hands of it because you've done something morally questionable. What is it morally questionable about it? It's a selfishness of the intent. When we feel like we're doing something for selfish reasons, we feel less good about it than when we feel that we do something also to help somebody else. Grant, we're selfish all the time. It's not like we're not. But if you network with the idea of also giving, only taking, that's when it becomes very sustainable and actually enriching and actually energizing. So to be able to give and not just take, you have to understand what the other side wants. And so you go back again to power. If I feel that I understand what you're up to, what your needs are, and I come up with could be small things that I do to feed those things, I will feel much better about my coming to you and asking for a favor back, asking for input back.
0: And- Absolutely. And Titiana, I want to ask for your final words of advice for career warriors in a second, but first I just wanted to, and I hate the word hack because it usually lends itself to like, you know, quick fixes, et cetera. But perhaps I should say, do you have any exercises or tactics, some practical things that we can do to practice getting in a powerful state and, or at least, you know, achieving more power.
1: Here's what I would like to suggest. Of course, there is the process of understanding other people and paying attention and really listening to what they have to say, really observing what they do so that you understand their needs at any point in time. But I would like to mostly reassure you that you have value. That is very important for you to go out there. And send in the application and go into that interview with the sense that you have something to contribute. You're very dependent and you feel very trapped. And when you feel that way, you don't perform as well in an interview. You don't convey what you can provide. So here's an exercise that I would like to suggest to your listeners. Think about a couple of values that are very important to you. And they don't have to be necessarily work related. In fact, the more personal they are, the better. It could be that for you, generosity is very important. It could be that for you, integrity and honesty are very important, whatever it may be. OK, and once you've selected a couple of values that matter to you, so in my case, would be friendship. Uh, very important. Take a piece of paper, write down the one or two values that animate you that for you are indispensable and you don't want anybody to mess with them because they are core to who you are. And then write down one or two things that you do to live up to those values. So for me, when it comes to friendship, it could be that I I can tell you that I went and I took a trip to go see a person who's ill and I want to be there for them in that moment. And that's one thing that I've done to live up to my value. Those simple moments when you remind yourself Of the things that make you a good person, that make you an authentic person, that you mean it, that you really cultivate something, change your sense of your value. I'll give an example of the impact they have on your life. This particular kind of intervention was deployed at INSEAD, which is a business school in France outside of Paris. Right. And INSEAD had this issue of a gender grade gap such that female students traditionally had done poorly compared to male students in the MBA program. And the school really wanted to address this problem. And they tried a bunch of things, not particularly effective, until they did what I just described to you as something you can do for yourself. They put through all the students this particular exercise twice in the course of the year-long program. And that alone erased the grade gap between men in this program. Why is that? Because the women who felt like they didn't belong there, they didn't have the skills, they didn't have the capabilities because there are all these kind of other, more kind of this this suited image of an Mm -hmm. MBA student in their mind. They were reminded that they do have deep values, that they live them every day, that they are, in fact, strong and good and have something of value to offer. And I think that that kind of reminding yourself that you have things to contribute is essential to entering any of these dynamics because they are power dynamics and power. You're not going to get it until you have something to offer. You're not going to feel that you have it until you have something to offer. And so that's why an exercise of this sort can be so conducive to you as you enter an interview or decide to go for that job and really try your best.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for bringing that story to light. And for me personally, I'm going to have to listen to this episode several times afterwards just to really take this in because this is awesome. I think not only can job seekers benefit from this, but for people who are really trying to go out and to live their values and to to just crush it essentially. So thank you for bringing that to light. I want to ask my famous career warrior question, which is, If you could tattoo one phrase on the arm of every career warrior, what would that phrase be?
1: Ah, well, I have to be consistent with what I just said. The phrase would be, you have more to give than you think. I love that. It's just this awareness that there's a lot that you can contribute. If only Mm -hmm. you spend a little time uncovering it and you can do it by observing the reality around you and really understanding other people around you that you try to influence and then you will find something that you can contribute to them that will make you more influential in your life.
0: That's a wonderful way to wrap up this episode here. I want to ask how people can, A, get in touch with you, and B, get access to your book, Power for All.
1: Absolutely. Well, we have a website that kind of collects a lot of information around the book. We're going to actually publish a test on it that you can take to understand how much power matters to you. Mm-hmm. Their website is called powerforallbook.com. And you can find a lot of information there. And then I'm reachable. You know, if you Google my name, my difficult name, you, you will find me. And I will be happy to connect with anybody who's interested in these ideas.
0: Okay, that's great. And you wrote this book with another person. And so just a funny question, I guess, like, what was the dynamic between you and this author? How did you end up co-writing this book? What was the power dynamic?
1: Oh, of course. It's a very good question. My co-author is Julie Batilana who is a professor at Harvard, both at the business school and the Kennedy School of Government. And we met when I was at Harvard myself, we overlapped for a year and we started a collaboration, but it was a typical academic collaboration, you know, writing for journals and so on and so forth. But we stuck together all these years and mm-hmm. we decided to write this book because we teach this stuff to people and we research it around the world. And we saw these misconceptions. So all ways in which people misuse and misunderstand power, and we really wanted them to have these tools because if you understand it, you can really do something good with it, potentially. So we started to work together. And our power dynamic was a dynamic of complete mutual dependence, meaning Mm -hmm. that we complement each other very well, and we have skills and interests that are kind of very They overlap to some extent, but also that they're different. And the secret to our friendship is that we understand what the other has to offer. We understand what the other needs, and we are very eager to provide to each other what the other member of this duo needs to be successful. This is the ultimate example of power with we understand that power is not a zero-sum game. It's not like if you get more power, I automatically lose power. It's actually it's in this mutuality that we do the best things. So, we know, we are eager to offer to each other the best things that we've got. And so we started out as friends and we ended up as even closer friends after this adventure together, which was not a foregone conclusion because... Every publisher was very concerned of, about having two authors because apparently the dynamic can be very, very bad with co-authors. And in our case, I think so it's I because we applied the lessons that we teach in this book to our own relationship. We did very well. So I recommend <laughs> to everybody mm-hmm. to adopt this view of power as a mutually enhancing type relationship, not a zero sum game.
0: I love that. Well, Titiana Cachado, thank you so much for joining us on the Queer Warrior podcast. You were an excellent guest. And for you listeners, I'll make sure to include the links to her book as well as how to get in touch on the description of this podcast episode. Thank you so much for joining in. You were awesome.
1: Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the wonderful questions and the objective of your podcast. Good luck to everybody who listens.
0: Awesome. So listeners, this concludes this episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. As I said, I would love to listen to this episode multiple times because I believe that repetition is one of the best ways to take in things internally. And I recommend that those of you do the same. I recommend also finding us both on LinkedIn and posting this episode, tagging us, letting us know what you thought about this episode. Do you have any questions, comments or insights that you took away from this that is another really good way to learn, and another way that would just get us really excited. Listeners, this wraps up today's episode. Can't wait to see you next Monday at 8. The Career Warrior Podcast. And for more on your job search, please make sure to check out Let's Eat Grandma's website at letseatgrandma.com forward slash CWP. That's where you can find her blog, attend job seeker events, and learn more about her awesome resume services. Let me just say, I'm happy you're subscribed on Apple or Spotify but you are missing out if you haven't seen the additional resources on our website. Once again, that's letseatgrandma.com forward slash CWP. And please don't forget to leave a review. The support from my fellow warriors is what will help me get noticed and what will help the algorithm so other job seekers can discover us too. I promise I read all the reviews and you will just make my day. That's all. I'll see you next episode this Monday morning.